Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Manana No Mas podcast. Uh, today, I want to bring to you uh, a friend of mine that I met through LinkedIn. As you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, I met Gene Girdley. We're both from the automotive industry. Um, I say from the automotive industry. That's how I met him. And he's just a, a wealth. Uh, he's width and depth. So folks, uh, with no further ado, let me introduce you to Gene and he can tell you a little bit more about himself. Go ahead, Gene. Well, thank you, Kurt. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me and to invite me on your podcast. I think what you yeah. do is a wonderful thing. And uh, it is really great. You mentioned LinkedIn. It's great to interact with people who are like-minded. I got on LinkedIn about three years ago when I read a book called 101 Things That You Don't Learn in MBA School. And the first thing that Chris Haroon, who is the instructor, said is get on LinkedIn and start networking. Funny thing is that right now I'm an MBA candidate in his program. So that's part of what's going on with me and what's keeping me busy. But as you mentioned, I am a retail automotive professional. Uh, I've been in the industry since full time since 1995. I got started in the auto industry fixing cars out of a Chevron gas station and then ran my own company called Jeans Auto Dock, where I did mobile service. And uh, that's all in my book. I'm an author too. And I'm sure that we'll talk about some of that. But uh, I, more importantly, I'm a Christian. I've been married to the same wonderful woman for 40 plus years. We have four kids and five, soon to be six grandchildren, five granddaughters. Everybody's hoping for a boy, but uh, hey, we're happy just to have them healthy. But I'm excited to be here and thank you so much. Gina, I, you know what? You brought it up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand it. Um, yeah. One of the reasons I'm so attracted to, to you, your messaging, and, and all the stuff that I see you do, because you're right up front about your faith. Yeah. And as as another you know middle-aged white dude, it's, it's <laughs> time and time again in our small groups and in our church environments and stuff, you hear people saying, oh, well, I can't do this at work, or I can't say this, or I, you know, I feel restricted because of my faith. And, and I've never really felt that way. I felt like, hey, if the timing's right and I want to give thanks to, to the creator, I do it. And I, and I see you doing the same thing. Man, kudos to you. It's one of the things that really drew me to you in the first place. Well, I appreciate that. You know, um, to your point, you said that some people will say, well, I'm not really sure about it. I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. But if we really just take who Jesus was, and that's why we call ourselves Christians, right? We follow him. Yeah. Uh, if we really just take who he was and what he did and what his message was. It was all about love, acceptance, forgiveness, grace, mercy, peace, joy. I mean, all of these things, right? So it's like, how can anybody be offended by that? And really the only offense comes is when someone tries to jam it down your throat, right? Yeah. But other yeah. than that, I mean, we, I, neither one of us try to do that. And so really the message is all about relationships. And I know you're really into relationships as well, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you already mentioned the book and the author part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, no, 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 that's totally awesome. This is your time. I, I really want to make sure we focus on things. Uh, and we should say podcaster, because part of the content I got from the book was from your podcast. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the inspiration of the book. And, and I'm going to be selfish. Okay. You know, I'm an author myself, and I know the work. I know the I know the commitment it takes not to just have the idea and start on it, but like yeah. you can write the whole book and have the whole thing done. It could still take you two years to format it and, and give it to an, a publisher, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Tell me about your, your, your journey to being an author and yeah. what inspired you to do this work. Yeah. So there's a couple of things behind that. One, again, I already mentioned Chris Haroon's book, 101 Things They Don't Teach in MBA School. He talked about, hey, write a book, you know? Yeah. And in fact, I've heard other people say that in business, it used to be your business card that you would hand to people. Yeah. But if you really are serious about business today, hand them your book. So um, a number of things happened. I had mentioned already that I was in automotive for a number of years. And for the last 10 years of my business life, before I started my own company, I worked for Mitsubishi Motors. And I was in dealerships, training, sales and service. And we got a call in April of 2019 and they informed the entire training department, basically, those of us who were on the road training that, yeah, unfortunately, when we moved to Tennessee, we're disbanding your role in the company and you're going to be gone as of December 2019. And they, by the way, let me just say this, kudos to them. They handled it in a great way. They supported us. They gave us options. They said, hey, if you stay, then we'll give you a severance package. If you don't want to stay, that's fine. We understand. So that part of it was really good in the way that they handled it. And I appreciated that very much because they were a great company when it comes to benefits and supporting you financially and things like that. So that was very good. But I had always wanted to write a book. In fact, I started writing a book in my 20s. And uh, it's still, I think, on my original Mac computer. <laughs> so I always wanted to write a book. Um, but when... I got dissolved from Mitsubishi. I said, it's time, okay? So the first pass at this, Kurt, was I wanted to write a novel, okay? Mm. So, but I, I'd never written anything like that before. Yeah. So I reached out to a ghostwriter and actually hired him. And that novel, by the way, is done. But it took longer to get done than this book did. And I'm going through it right now, chapter by chapter and kind of refining it. And I, you know, we sat for hours and hours and hours as I told him the story and then yeah. he wrote the story, right? Uh, because I'd never written a novel before and I didn't really know how to, to put it together. Uh, I've read so many self-help books that I thought maybe I could kind of piece one of those together. So that started, the process of that first book started in January of 2020. Wow. And here we are, 2022. I, I was kind of smiling on the inside, Kurt, when you said, uh, hey, the process can take so long, right? And that is what has happened with that book. Yeah. But because, and the, the beauty about my relationship with Mitsubishi before COVID hit was that even though they lost me as an employee, they immediately hired me back as a contractor with my new company to go out to their dealerships, right? So I was, I decided to drive to New Mexico from Phoenix area instead of fly. And so it was about a six hour drive each way. So I basically decided, you know, I'm gonna just turn on my phone recorder and I'm just gonna tell my story in automotive from when I first began to where I am today. And I literally just recorded myself going there and coming back. And that is what this book came from. I just recorded myself telling my own story and I formatted it and wrote it down and typed it out and 
there it is. It's it's the history of, of my life in automotive from my first job at the Chevron gas station to a little bit about the interlude of where I did youth ministry work, not a whole lot. But then I jumped to my retail experience with Saturn, sales, service, training, some of the goals that I had and how they were accomplished and all the way to what you talked about with uh, the events that I did. So that's the story. <laughs> You mentioned Saturn, yeah. and now here comes a rabbit trail. Okay. Saturn, I remember when Saturn launched, it was like, here's our price, haggle-free. There was so many things that were revolutionary, especially to the automotive industry when that came out. And now, of course, we can look back and say, well, Saturn's gone, right? right. right. But how do you think, especially with the supply chain issues and stuff that these sales departments are facing now, and the OEMs are talking about, you know, the, the market value adjustment and stuff like that, that the dealers do trying to restrict some of that. Right. I almost wonder if like the Saturn model isn't going to start to come forward again. Like, were they just that far ahead of their time? Yeah, I think they were. I think they were just ahead of their time. I, I'm still in touch with a lot of the retail training team and do work with them and uh, maybe doing some projects moving forward with the guy who hired me from Saturn, who's in the book here. And uh, so we, we keep in close contact, but I really do think you hit the nail on the head in that they were ahead of their time because I don't think the retail environment was ready for full disclosure, transparency, uh, a consistent process. I just don't think they were ready for that. We did see some of the more luxury brands adopt the Saturn way of doing things, especially yeah. when Saturn for five years in a row was tops in CSI and tops in SSI, right? And yeah, they were yeah. a, an economy car. And so the, the luxury brands went, well, how did they do that? I mean, customers come to us and they pay a lot of money and they expect that kind of experience. They go to Saturn and why should they expect that kind of experience? So they've adopted that. But I think you hit the nail on the head that yeah, they were ahead of their time. And people are adopting more and more of those strategies right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can't help but think of my own entrepreneur journey. And I think about different projects that I've had and that I've closed down. Right. right. And then like I had an online motorcycle magazine when everyone else was still doing print. Everyone said, dude, no one's going to buy your magazine if it's not in print. Yeah. And so I closed it. And now I look at all these successful online <laughs> magazines. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I was just like eight years too early. Right. You know, right. exactly. and so I, I look at those examples. Um, it's like my training company is an online virtual training company. And I, right. I had it that way before COVID. And yeah. I go, and, and, and people are like, oh, don't worry. You know, people are, are you sure that's the right thing to do? And I'm like, I know it's the right thing to do. I've had too many things that I've shut down yeah. and then seen other people move forward with. So, yeah. you know, you got to stick with it and be persistent. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, as you wrote and published your book, what were like some personal goals you had as far as publishing went? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question because I think I had more, have more goals for the novel than I did for this book, um, mm -hmm. which is why it's self-published and, and uh, I learned the process of that. I think my number one goal for the book was just to have something that I could share with others that tells my experience and my stories. Yeah. Um, the element in there of my faith, which we talked about at the beginning of the podcast or the broadcast was something that since it's such a part of my life, it's interwoven in there. The aspects of what I've learned 
in my faith and how to integrate that in my business journey are all told in the book. So I think I really wanted to make sure that when if people did buy this and they read this, that they would see authenticity, that they would see that you can be a good person, an honest person, an ethical person, a moral person, and still succeed in automotive. So yeah. if there was any goal that I had for the book, that would be it. <laughs> you you kind of nailed another one there. And that is, I came up through fixed operations. I was a service writer, service manager, service director, all these things. Yeah. And I can remember, um, and I'm not going to mention names because, you know, protect the innocent, all that sure, kind of sure. stuff. But I can remember, and this is right before I released my book, Service Writing in Black and White, the the company wanted us to give people um, free powertrain warranties if they service their vehicle with us. And right. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of legit. You know, and this was near the economic turndown. And I, so I was all about it. I was like, hey, you know what? We've got this free powertrain warranty. If you're doing your services with us, it looks like you already are, you know, bam, bam, bam. Well, then about three months later, I get pulled into the office and I'm told, hey, you know, you're missing some of the fine lines here. You know, you've got to sell the fuel filter every 12,000 miles. You've got to sell the transmission service every, I think, 24,000 miles. You got to sell a different. And I was like, well, hold on. You know, let's take a look at the, you know, manufacturer's recommendations for maintenance, you know, and I, and I, you know, <laughs> because you told us they had to follow the recommended, you know, manufacturer's right. maintenance. So I, and I was like, look at the, I said, so. What you're saying is a free powertrain warranty is really about $24,000 in extra service work that's not required. And I can remember the, the guy in question looked at me and, and he was also a person of faith um, and had a lot of things that he worked with. But he, he, he said, are, are you calling me unethical? And I said, well, <laughs> I, I, I said, I'm calling whoever put this in writing unethical. And if that's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Then, then so be it, but but it's in print, so I I I can't argue with what you've put in writing, you but know. Kurt, didn't you guys didn't you guys work in an environment where there were environmental issues that meant that the manufacturer's warranty didn't apply? Well, of course. <laughs> this this is um you know you have to go to the back of the book where it says extreme conditions. Extreme <laughs> conditions, yeah. This this is a hot this is a hot dusty area, and you that's don't want right. dust to get exactly. in the transmission. Yeah, that's um, right. It was just a, it, it was a bizarre conversation. And of course, two weeks later, I found myself, you know, taking another position, you know, and, and moving forward. But it's when we look at our industry and we look at the stereotypes that go with our industry, and then you and I continue to find really solid, great people yeah. in the industry, yeah, yeah. I can't help but, but wonder where's that disconnect? How does that, how does that happen? It's yeah, like, yeah. um, it's like, and, and you and I can say this out loud, it's like hiring a brand new graduate from UTI or from MMI if you're in power sports. Right. And, and so this is someone that's been trained that should should be an entry-level technician, be very clear, right? You're not saying they're, they're not master techs, they're entry-level technicians, but they forget to tighten the lug nuts on the wheel of that, of that Ford Ranger, right. or they put a motorcycle on a lift and it falls over because they failed yeah. to tie it down. Yeah. And, and, and you go... So you go to the school and you visit with instructors and you visit with the staff and they're brilliant. And you, and you go to a couple of classes and you go, these classes are solid yeah. and you go, so where's the disconnect? How can you take so much quality right. and then not see the quality in the product? How right. can we have so many great people in the automotive industry, but still have these stereotypes that hold us back? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's going to vary a little bit depending on what organization, what manufacturer, what dealer group you work with. 
but I think yeah. it's really, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've read the book by Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game. And, mm. and he talks about a just cause in business and how in the United States, we went from a business focus of, of having a business idea that helps consumers and has a just cause, we want to help people, to a bottom line transactional approach which is all about today and it's a it's a vicious cycle uh, in fact i was listening to a news report yesterday from a doctor who talked about pharmaceutical companies and how they they drive because of their focus on profits and their focus on profits to do the right thing by their shareholders yeah yeah they drive what doctors think and do these days doctors are no longer doing what they're doing it's not because they don't think they're doing the right thing but because the information that they get is do it this way but it's drip driven based on profitability and bottom line and i think that's the issue is that if our focus is on just the money and the bottom line and we look at the the different financial statements right and we say what is our operating profit what are our profit What's our profitability, right? Yeah. Um, what are our expenses? We need to cut, 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 and we can't give away this because it affects our bottom line. Then we're, then we're fruit pickers and not farmers. I actually use that illustration in my book, a farmer not, be a farmer, not a fruit picker. Um, and things like Zig Ziglar says, you can get everything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they what want. They we flip that focus around. We're focusing on us. So even good people, if, their philosophy is drive the bottom line and you're not a success unless you focus on hitting those targets that you just defined from whoever your manager was. You've got to sell this, you've got to sell this, you've got to sell this. Yeah. Then we've got it flipped upside down. We've got everything flipped upside down. I'm hearing you talk and it's, it's, it's almost like listening. It's like an echo chamber for me. I, I just did a talk on, I call it action leadership from the edge of the circle. And I was talking about a, a point in my life where people thought I was a good leader. Like I would get told, oh, you're a good leader. And I, and I look back on that now and I'm actually ashamed of my behavior back then because I wasn't leading. I was driven. Mm. I was extremely driven. Uh, I used to be a service manager for Pep Boys and Pep Boys back in the day, I don't know if they still do this, but they, the regional manager would call you and be like, like you know, on January, on February 15th, you know, 2021, your department sold this much. You have to beat this number January 15th this year, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, and and right. so uh, I found myself being so driven. Like I didn't want that phone call from that regional manager. You know what I mean? I, I just, I, I had to beat the number every day. And I didn't, I didn't put the quality into my customer communications. I didn't, I didn't serve people where they were. I didn't, I didn't give them what they needed or wanted. I sold them what I needed to sell them that day. Right. And I beat on my technicians to make sure it got done and delivered that day. Yeah. And I beat on my service writers to make sure those cars were picked up and cashiered that day. <laughs> and, um, and I look back at that now and I go, that is so counter to what I teach and train now as an independent trainer. You know, I always tell people focus on relationships and not transactions. If you focus on the relationships, the transactions will grow on their own. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. But it's, it's really hard to in in the business world it's so hard to tell a business owner just focus on those relationships right now just focus on the relationships the transactions will come 
you gotta have you gotta have faith for lack of a better term but you gotta have faith that if you sow the right seed the harvest will come if That's you right. if you force it you can make you, you can club a seal once right. you know but you, you you gotta you gotta let it go and it's, yeah, it's I, a really I, hard message I had a, uh, a regional manager tell me one time that someone came from the manufacturer and it, it uh, in this case, it happened to be um, an international company. And they traveled around with this leader and started talking about sales numbers. And he mm. said to him, why don't you just tell them to sell more cars? <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what he said. Yeah. Why don't you just tell them to sell more? And... Um, I use the analogy with continuing with the fruit picker idea that it's like, why don't you just stand at the tree and yell at the tree, produce more fruit, produce more fruit, produce more fruit, because that's what you're basically saying, right? Yeah. yeah. Let, let's not focus on nurturing the soil, uh, fertilizing it, pruning it. Uh, cause sometimes you both, we both know Kurt that you have to prune, meaning cutting away yeah. dead stuff. Yeah. which and means reducing yep. right in order to grow in the long term but but they're very short-term focused i mean every single year uh at the end of the fiscal year nobody traveled nobody could spend any money no why because they wanted the the final statement to look better yeah it was like, that's just that's just silly right why don't we do this all year and think about it right but yeah it's it's interesting it really is <laughs> if if i could um dive in more from a historical emotional standpoint with the automotive industry for you yeah, yeah i left automotive and i went to power sports and i spent a solid 15 years doing power sports right and then i got back involved with some automotive folks on linkedin network with some people and I, and I just wanted to see i was like hey i wonder how far it's advanced i wonder you know i thought yeah. oh, i'm going to be left behind and when i joined a couple of mastermind calls i was like but these cats are complaining about the same stuff we complained about 12 <laughs> yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. You know, about finding qualified technicians, training service writers, uh, you know, getting information down on the repair order. And I think about all of these things being a foundational issue of basically communication and leadership, which is why I focus so hard when I train people on, on those two things. Right. Um, how do you think we could make a positive influence on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I would add philosophy. Hmm. What is the philosophy of the organization for its own people in the long term, not just in the short term, but in the long term? And I think the, the first organization that comes to mind is Carter Myers, Liza Borges. Um, every pe every person, to my understanding now, we have not had an in-depth conversation on this, but from the interviews that she's been involved in with me and uh, some of the things that I've heard and learned from their organization is that they're committed to the things that you talked about, learning great communication, training, all of that on a daily basis, on a, a regular um, growing strategy. So monthly they have new higher classes where the full team is involved with that. But every one of those people are owners of the company. They own oh, yeah. shares in the company. And so when you read about someone retiring from their company, mm -hmm. they're retiring after 35, 40 years. Yeah. And, and yeah. they're just fine, thank you very much, financially, because 
they shared in the profits as well. And that's a philosophy that says we're, we know that we need you as a team member. And so we're going to reward you for the, for the success that we have. Everybody wins in this organization. Uh, so I think it's partly the philosophy of the organization as to its team members. Are we going to help you become everything you want to be? I think time and service is a, can be a really great judge of a solid company. Like, oh, absolutely. you know, I've worked for a ton. I've had way too many jobs. I tell all my podcast listeners, you know, I've had way too many jobs. If you're looking for stability, I'm not your guy. Yeah. Um, but Suzuki was a company and I can name them by, by name now because this is a positive comment. Yeah, I was in shock. Um, there was an older gentleman there that kind of took me under his wing when I came into the company and we would drive together back and forth to the office. And in Southern California, traffic is atrocious. Yeah. So he, he would have an hour and a half of my ear to bend off and tell me every secret about the company that ever existed, right? <laughs> and then I found out he had been there like 34 years. Yeah. And the guy that I had replaced, he said it was a temporary job and he had been there for eight or nine years. And then another guy had been there for almost 40 years. And you started to look around the office and go, 15, 18, 22, 23 years. And then I realized I would never hit a seniority list, right? Because I was already, I'm already long in the tooth. I'm in my fifties, right? So I realized I would never hit a, a seniority mark there. But um, talk about um, legacy. Talk about, you know, all that wealth of information. Yeah. There were people there like Suzuki in America invented the ATV. Yeah. And so there were people that worked in that office when that prototype was built at that building. And that's just like super cool historical stuff yeah. that you don't see in many corporations. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and, and the sad part is that all of that stuff came from a culture that was very focused on doing the right thing, but somewhere it got lost. Somewhere yeah. it got lost. So. Well, and, and you nailed that because somewhere it does. And it comes, like you said, investors are saying, where's my money, right? Yeah. And everything's getting driven by that dollar. But there's, people have lost focus on what drives that dollar. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, In fact, so here's the interesting part of it, right? Because I'm an investor too, right? Yeah. And so I want, as an investor, I want profitability, but... That's something to ask myself as an investor these days, which is something you wouldn't really have thought about before, but what are the companies doing that I'm investing in now? I mean, yeah. it, if we say we stand for something and then we're investing in a company that is totally the other direction of that, that that's on me, that's not on them. Yeah. So we have to, we have to take uh, some time to think about who we are and what our focus is and what we believe in, and then align ourselves with companies, whether investing or in business, uh, aside from whether or not they give us a paycheck. Mm. True. True. I want to shift gears a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I met you, or I should say I was, uh, first introduced to you when you were hosting virtual events. Yeah. How, where did that come from? Is it because you have a, a, a training background or you were familiar with the equipment or um, yeah. technologies or I, dude, I was, I was amazed because I've seen, I've seen other people host live events. And then I saw you host a live event, you know, with themes and breakouts and transitions. And, and yeah. it was, it was top notch, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. 
uh, and, and I love doing it too. In fact, I, I, you know, I was really thinking this morning, Kurt, um, because a question was asked if you had nothing else to do, you didn't have a responsibility, you didn't have an agenda, you didn't have anything you had to do today. No, there was nothing to do, but you could do whatever you want to do. What would you do? And I thought, yeah, I'd be producing live events. <laughs> I'd be producing. producing not, I don't mean necessarily. I don't mean live, but I mean virtual live, right? I'd be yeah, producing, yeah. Doing doing all that and being behind the scenes. I'm. I love being on camera too. But so, in answer to your question, I have to go back to growing up. My mother was a professional country western singer, okay. and she never made it super big okay but she made it big enough to where i got exposed to hollywood mm. um i was on tv on a show called engineer bill's shake shop when i was like six years old it was a kid's afternoon cartoon show and then we would dance and all this stuff and we would do this dance line and go pick a, a prize and i got this little electric truck so I've, I've been around that environment for a long time um, my mom actually you could go on YouTube and type in uh, McLeod from Russia with love. Okay. And you can find the McLeod episode where my mom's band was in the show, uh, supposedly went to Russia. Uh, it was an episode with Britt Eklund. And so I got to meet Britt Eklund. I got to meet Dennis McLeod or Dennis Weaver uh, of McLeod yep. um, and all the other cast members there at Universal Studios when they were shooting the show. And so I've been around it. Right. And so that doesn't really answer the question about right now, but that gives the foundation for what made it easy for me to do yeah. that. Yeah. Because I grew up around it. Uh, I also, when I was a minister, I, I was on K wave, which was Calvary chapels, um, radio station. I did, um, uh, a Saturday morning's kids show where I voiced a lot of the kids voices. Yep. Um, I did a, a radio call and talk show called a higher perspective. So I've got all this, this audio visual background. And when I got into training corporately, uh, there became a time when, uh, especially after 2008, where yeah. training budgets were significantly cut, where I started doing a lot of webinars. And so with Mitsubishi for 10 years at the, the last week of every month, because they didn't want us in the dealerships, it was all webinar training, all webinars, 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 re webinars. So for, I, I basically, before COVID hit, had about 14 years of webinar experience. Okay. Yeah. Um, but also when I was doing work with Auto University, I started what's called the tip of the day that there's Ted is still doing now. Okay. And uh, I wrote all those and I was the one who was on camera. I put a green screen in my garage. This was in 2005, all right? And wow. I was doing editing, video editing back then. So uh, I've just got a lot of experience doing that. I have a lot of background. So uh, when COVID hit, I got the call. Hey, I know you got a lot of background with this. Will you do it? So that's how that came about. I think about, I, I listen to you talk. I hear your experiences and I can't help but mirror that against like my upbringing. Mm. I can remember in third grade telling my best friends, you know, someday I'm going to write a book. And they'd say, dude, you don't even like English class. You can't write a book. <laughs> um, you know, someday I'm going to be on TV, you know, 
dude, you're not rich. You're not famous. We're from a poor part of town. You're never yeah. going to be on TV. Yeah. And, and to your point, I was on a TV program in high school called Dancing on Air. It was credited with saving Channel 17 in Philadelphia. Oh, nice. That's um, great. Silly little show, right? But I was on it. I was one of the regulars and it was one of my things. Like, I was like, that's my thing. Um, and I think about things like, I can remember growing up watching PBS and watching those travel shows because I was a broke kid in Philadelphia and they would do these tours of Italy. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go to Italy. I don't know why I'm so attracted to Italy, but I was like, oh, if I could go to Italy. And they would say, oh, go down these little, you know, go down these little alleyways, find the little mom and pop restaurants. And I'm a foodie. So I was like, it always stuck with me. And when I got the job at Ducati, I had been there less than a month. And they were like, hey, bad news, Kurt. We need you to go to Italy in two weeks. <laughs> I was like, bad oh news. My. You know, yeah. um, and yeah. over the course of, you know, four years working there, I, I went to Italy like 15 times. Oh, that's and, great. And I started to speak Italian. I went to the different restaurants. And once you begin to speak their language, you get invited to grandma's house for dinner and you get to share yeah. recipes. And yeah. Um, I haven't worked there since 2016 and I still have friends in Italy that I talk to on a regular basis and, and it's, it's like family. It like, it never goes yeah. away. Yeah. When oh, that's cool. That's very cool. When you look at what you've done, the, yeah. the writing, the book, the TV work, the, the events, things like that. Right. Is that against the grain of what people told you when you were younger or were you always encouraged? Well, that's a great question. Okay. So, um, and I don't really tell this story much because probably because I really just came to the conclusion myself relatively recently, but my parents were divorced when I was three. My uncle had made it to what was the Los Angeles angels baseball team at the time. They were originally the original Los Angeles angels. He was mm -hmm. on the team and my dad wanted me to be, a professional baseball player. Now I, I got pretty high. Okay. And I could have gone that direction, but at the time when the offer came for me to go there, I was actually an old man by comparison. Okay. I was yeah. 21 at the time. Yeah. And, cool. um, and so I decided I don't want to go to single A and ride around on buses and, you know, and, and in fact, all the other guys who weren't believers, you know, it would just be, you know, hitting the bars, hitting the clubs, you know, doing that whole thing. I was like, I don't, I just don't want to live that life. <laughs> so yeah. uh, some people tell me you were crazy for not accepting that. And I don't think I was, I feel like I made the right decision, but here's the thing growing up. Um, I used to love comedy. I, I, wow. in fact, I was voted by my high school senior class, Kurt, most likely to revert back to a child because I was the class clown. And I would memorize uh, Cosby routines and, uh, you know, so, uh, Cheech and Chong routines and, and all of these, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. And, uh, and I would just, we'd go out and because I was kind of shy, believe it or not, I was a shy kid. Yeah. In order to overcome the shyness, I would just break into these routines. Okay. Just break into, you know, crazy comedy stuff and people loved it. So now to answer your question after that whole big story, uh, the answer is that I probably was so worried that my dad would be upset with me for going the direction of entertainment because that's what my mom was in yeah. that, I, that I didn't do it. But in retrospect, it's pro if I had done it, I would be much far farther along in it. 
I would have probably been a more successful person because that's where my passion is. So like our gift to the younger audience that might be listening to this is, yeah. is uh, listen to two old dudes that are going <laughs> to tell you uh, if you have a dream or a passion or something, pursue it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. look, look how far both you and I have gotten, but we've done it later. Yeah. That's you know, right. and, if, and if you'd have done it earlier, yeah. what would the growth have been? What would the impact have been? Yeah. Um, I look at, I can remember, I saw Grant Cardone talk before Grant Cardone was Grant Cardone. Like when he was doing yeah. small rooms in hotels, I saw Grant Cardone talk Yeah. and he made a really big impact on me. I was like 19 yeah. and he made a really big impact on me. I remember going back to the dealership because I was a salesman and I went back to the dealership and I was like, man, I was pretty good. I think I could do that. And, and everybody was like, dude, you're a moron. Shut yeah. up, go sell a car, you know? And, and you know what it's like at the dealership, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And I just, and you, you just, you know, go, go drive some numbers for us, but don't yeah. have any dreams or aspirations. <laughs> That's, right. And, That's um, right. and now I look at it, I'm 54. And what am I doing? Yeah. I'm hosting a podcast. I'm yeah. doing public talks. I'm publishing books. I'm, and it's like, man, if I would have started this when I was in my twenties or thirties, where, how many people could I have positively influenced? And I, I'd like to jump on two things that you just said there. One yeah. is to, to the younger people that are watching, because what we just said was, hey, if, if you have a dream, go for it. But I also want to add to those who maybe didn't pursue that, like I didn't, right? Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, there's a scripture that says God, and people twist this. It says God causes all things to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. People twist it and say everything happens for a reason. Well, I believe that God causes things if you focus on him and you trust him that he'll take whatever happened in your past and work it for good. And that's the thing mm -hmm. that we can stand on. And so I don't, I don't regret, I don't, I mean, I look back and I go, Oh, what would have happened? That would have been cool if I'd have done that, but I don't regret it because look at where my life is today. I would have definitely not taken the path that I took today. I probably would not have met my wife. I wouldn't have these amazing kids and amazing granddaughters. I, I, it probably would have gone a different direction. So I'm, I'm very grateful for everything that happened the way that it did. And I, and I don't want them to say, oh, um, you know, I regret that I didn't go into entertainment. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm glad that I had the vision. I'm glad that I had the dream. And I'm glad that, as you said, that look at where we are right now. And I also want to say it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. You know, I, um, before the, the virtual event started, I thought, okay, I'm going to start doing virtual events. And when I, I left Mitsubishi, the thing that I really enjoyed doing for them is I did a lot of video hosting of their product videos. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah. I really love doing product videos. I want to go be a, be a product host for people. So I got an agent and I went into acting and I went to classes and got into classes and was with the Ford agency here in Phoenix. And, um, but then the events came and I didn't have time for it. Oh, but, but <clears throat> I just in the short time that I did it, I learned so much. I learned so many little things yep. that have helped me. And all of these pieces, all of these experiences help me to produce those shows because I see all the experiences that I've had and, I, and I've asked myself the questions, what will the audience want? And so that's how it came like that. Yeah, what do they want? How can you add value to them, right? Yeah, we, that's right. And yeah. if we focus on them, we, we know that we get good product at the end. Yeah. 
Well, talk to me about the book because I, I want to make sure that we get a chance to really promote that. It's a it's a series of stories, yes. Yeah. So, so what I did is I wrote it. I mean, I could have written it as a single biography, but one of the things that I've I have so I've got good friends who I've shared the book with along the way. And one of my friends, John Traver, said, hey, okay, so I've read it. I love it and everything. But, you know, one of the, the best books that I like from a business standpoint will ask me questions or challenge me with, okay, here's my story. What about yours? Okay. Yeah. So I took that and I said, okay, how can I repurpose the book to make it like that? And I thought about Christian devotionals, right? Mm -hmm. Weekly devotionals, daily devotionals. And I thought, well... My story kind of tells of little things that happened to me along the way. So I thought about a journey and I thought about the miles. And then I thought, what were those things that I learned? Well, they're like signposts. So I thought signposts, right? I mean, there are Christian devotionals that are called signposts and things yeah. like that. But I thought, well, they're markers. So that's how I came up with the title of the book, The Miles. And then what did I learn on that part of the journey? The marker. So I broke it into what I call 52 weeks of experiences to improve your life and enhance your journey. And the idea was that if, uh, if there was someone in automotive who got the book and wanted to use it with their team, they could sit down once a week at their weekly sales or, or service meeting, read through it. Cause most of them are like two pages, Yeah. read through it and then look at the marker and talk about it with their team. So that's, that was the design of the book. Um, it turned into more chapters than um, 52 because there were things that I call side streets, which are little additional stories along the way that uh, I worked out. But the funny part is when I self-published the first book, it didn't paginate right. So the first like 30 copies of it or whatever are all out of whack. It's like, it'll say mile, like this says mile, it says chapter 37, this is mile 37. Well, they were all messed up, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, so I tell people, I say, hey, you know, um, if I be, ever become famous, that book's gonna be valuable because it was the first edition that was all screwed up. <laughs> my first edition was a mess. When yeah. I wrote when I wrote my book, I didn't think anyone was gonna buy it, Gene. It yeah. was a mental, it was just a mental exercise. Yeah. And so I published it and thought no big deal. And then it started selling and I was like, uh-oh. And then people started like sending me emails and I'm going, uh-oh. So <laughs> I read the book myself and I, I, I just grabbed a highlighter and started highlighting yeah. all the grammatical errors, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, I gotta redo this. So I yeah. went back, fixed it and then had a, a, a second edition. Right. But it's, you don't realize, um, and this, this is like one of those lessons, right? It's you as an individual, and maybe it's that imposter syndrome everyone talks about or whatever, right. but you don't expect to make that big of an impact on people. You think, ah, oh, this is just a little, I'm throwing a little pebble in the pond. And what you yeah. don't realize is in some cases that pebble's a cinder block right. and, it, and it affects a lot more people than you expect. Yeah. Yeah. And on one hand, it can, it can paralyze you and keep you from from making a leap because you're thinking i don't want to make an idiot in front of myself or right. i don't want to make an idiot in front of all these people but it's it's you have to you have to make that leap like think of think of all the lives you touch and all the and all the things that you do right. so it's 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 been really really interesting the the publishing journey's been very um eye-opening for me yeah yeah i did get a chance to actually talk with a publisher um and i got introduced to the publisher by uh, Dave Anderson, who's an author as well. 
and uh, he was very kind to introduce me to the publisher. And basically what the publisher said was, um, hey, look, every single person, every editor that gets a copy of a book is going to um, look at it and ask the question, what's it going to cost me if it fails? Am I going to lose my job if this book doesn't sell? Yeah. And so when you write your book, if you're really serious about wanting a publisher to get involved, you need to think about that. You need to think about the fact that they're worried about their own livelihood, and their own job. And yeah. I thought, you know, that's, that's a great point. Um, and so as I, I plan on writing future books and as I write in the future, that'll be something, cause I had already written this book, right? Um, as I write in the future, that'll be something to think about is that editors have, they have to be accountable. Yeah. Who they agree to, to take on. Yeah. They put their name behind something. They yeah. got to, they got to have a reason right. why. That's right. Yeah. So Gene, I really, really want to respect your time and I'm, I'm so grateful for the time you've given us so far, but do you have any like final messages or, or encouragement or uh, anything that we need to get into this podcast to promote for you? Uh, to promote for me, let, let me say one thing about something that you said. I want to build on that for other other listeners. And that is that um, you you talked about the impact of the people that we might influence by what we do. Mm -hmm. um, you only have to influence one person. You only have to make a difference in the life of one person. And who can that person become? I mean, that one person could change the world because you influence them. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Billy Graham, but if you look at his story and you go back and back and back and back to all these preachers and how it actually came through where Billy ended up becoming Billy Graham, it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating because those preachers were not famous, right? But he, they impacted his life in a significant way. So um, just give give to others, give what you have to someone else. And it could make a huge difference in the world. Don't be afraid to give. And then as far as me, um, I would say, you know, you could, the easiest email to reach me at is just my first and last, first initial last name, ggirdley at gmail.com, ggirdley at gmail.com. If you want to get the book, go to Amazon and type in the search box, my name right here, Gene Girdley. The Miles and the Markles, all kinds of stuff will come up, okay? But if you type my name in, this book will come up. You can get it on audio uh, or you can get it on, you can't get it on Audible unless you listen to my podcast, right? Which is the same name and it's on uh, Podbean, um, the Miles and the Markers podcast. You can listen to the book that way because I'm going through it that way. But uh, you can buy the book and uh, you can get it on Kindle if you want to. And then the other thing is I do have a website. My company is called Delray Learning and Development. It's my mine and my wife's middle names. Okay, so D-E-L-R-A-E. -E, just think of Star Wars, Ray. Uh, and that's a story in and of itself, my wife and I in Star Wars, because <laughs> uh, it, it's how we got together in, in a way. Wow. So it's funny that a heroine now is named Ray. But Delray Learning and DelrayLearning.com is the website. DelrayLearning.com. Nice. And we'll have the links in the description to the yeah. podcast on the YouTube links and in the Manana Nomas pages. Yeah, um, you know, to me, podcasting is such a unique thing because you have no idea how far or how many people are going to hear it. I don't That's think the numbers tell the story. I, I've gone out to visit dealers that I've never met. Right. And, and at one point I, I was doing a job for BRP and they said, oh, well, good luck. You know, this dealer is, can, be, can be hard to get to, through to. Yeah. And uh, the dealer came in and goes, oh, is this Kurt? Is he the Manana Nomas guy? And I went, <laughs> yeah. what? 
And then yeah. he goes, huh, yeah. I li- I've been listening to you for three years. Whatever yeah. you want to do, let me yeah. know. We'll write the check. Yeah. That's right. I, yeah. I left and called BRP and said, I think we're done here. <laughs> you know, that that is another thing we could spend a whole podcast on with that is the issue of um, just putting yourself out there because there are those people that are lurkers. I actually think I did an article or a post on it one time, but the people who are supposed lurkers yeah. could be the big difference makers in your life. That happened with me with Chart House Learning and John Christensen, author of the book Fish. He followed me on LinkedIn for eight or nine months and then called me. Yeah. But he never c- communicated with me on LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, this is Gene Girdley. I, I can't uh, express to you enough uh, how impressed I am with him as an individual. I encourage you to check out his book. Uh, like I said, you'll see uh, links in the description to follow up with him. And I encourage you to do so. Folks, have a great day. Manana namas. Let's get stuff done yesterday.